We uh, begin tonight a new series that is going to be a challenging one, uh, not for lack of content. (laughs) As we talk about and discuss prayer, uh, it is a challenge because there is so much. But what we're trying to do on Sunday nights is focus on how Jesus trained the 12 apostles and specifically how those commands, how those parables, how the teachings apply to us today. So we are in Matthew chapter 6, and which Tyler just read, but the Lord's Prayer, as it is commonly called, is found also in another place, and that's Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. And if you want to kind of keep your finger in both places, that's fine. But what's interesting to me is that as he began that dialogue in Luke chapter 11, he, that Luke records that it is preempted by a question. Matthew records that Jesus is beginning uh, the Sermon on the Mount and he brings in the Lord's Prayer when he begin, get, gets to the subject on how to pray. Luke says that Jesus had finished praying, and then the disciples asked, made this special request. Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples to pray. Now, it doesn't take a, an in-depth look at Scripture to know that Scripture references several times that Jesus prayed often. Scripture tells us in several places that he would withdraw and pray, or he'd spend all night praying, or he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. We know that he prayed publicly as well as privately. Of course, we have many of the the, uh, public prayers written down for us, which is of great help. But I think what impressed the disciples more than anything about Jesus was not his public prayer life, but his private prayer life, that it was consistent, that it was never-ending, that no matter how busy he was, no matter how big the crowds got, he was never too busy to pray. He made that his of utmost importance, keeping the main thing the main thing. I've often wondered why it was that Jesus had such a devout prayer life, because obviously he had a relationship with the Father. Why would he need to pray? I mean, couldn't, didn't he know what the Father was thinking? I'm not exactly sure how all that worked as Jesus was incarnate. But in some way, he had to keep the relationship going. He had to communicate with the Father the same way that we have to communicate to the Father. It's a challenge. Some people have, have said that prayer is communicating with God. The the challenge, though, in that way of thinking is communication is typically a two-way street, not a one-way. And if communication with God is two ways, then most certainly the way which God communicates to us is not an audible sound, but something we have to pay very much attention to. If if we pray to him and we ask him for things or we bring things to him, the answer is not immediate and audible, maybe accepting the case of, of someone like Samuel or one of the prophets. But with us, it's, it's not typically as we think of two-way communication. 
And so Jesus is asked by the apostles, teach us to pray. I'm not sure, Scripture never records that the apostles ever ask him about to teach them anything else. We're not told that they said, Jesus, teach us to preach like you preach. Jesus, teach us to teach like you teach. And those would have been, I think, fair questions to ask of Jesus. People were impressed with how Jesus preached and teached, but they didn't ask about that. And that, to me, is telling. They ask him to explain many things. But they ask him to teach them only to pray. And it's in prayer where they, they want to learn, it seems like, to do exactly as Jesus did. Which is such a beautiful picture. The Jews had a, a saying in the day, of course, there were, Jesus was not the only rabbi. There were many rabbis, and those rabbis often had students called disciples. And so they had a saying of the, that day, and it went like this, May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And what that meant was, typically whenever you watched the rabbi going through a place, through the market, down the street, through a city, he was leading the way, and his students, his disciples, were walking behind. And so, of course, in that day, not having paved streets and sidewalks and tennis shoes, after a time, the front of their robes would just become covered with the dust that was kicked up from the rabbi. It was their way of saying, walk as Jesus walked, which is a command we are given later in Scripture. So I'm going to give you a little introduction to some of the history of prayer in the Old Testament. I hope not to spend too much time there. But I want to give you, because these were Jewish men, and they were raised in this society, and, and hopefully this background information will help us understand why they wanted to ask, they wanted Jesus specifically to teach them to pray. If you study prayer within the pages of Scripture, you'll see that the very first time prayer is mentioned, it's not, it doesn't even actually use the word prayer. It's found in Genesis chapter 4, verse 26. Genesis chapter 4, verse 26. And there the scripture reads, At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord, which is with the whole uh, descendants of Seth and, and all of that. But there was this spiritual desire within mankind that was left empty. In the garden, when that relationship was broken, man has an innate desire to worship something, to call out to something greater than himself. And whether or not they worship the God of heaven, uh, they still have that desire. And so in Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, is the first time that this is mentioned. And then, as we press forward through the Bible, we see that there are many other examples of people, of characters, praying. I've got a lot here. We're not going to ask you to flip through, but if you want to write these down, try to catch a few. Genesis chapter 20, verse 17 says, Then Abraham prayed to God and healed Abimelech. So the prayer of intercession, praying on behalf of someone else. Genesis chapter 25, verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. 
Exodus chapter 8, verse 30. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. I love that because he was appealing to a higher power. 1 Samuel chapter 7, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 10 says, tells us that Hannah was deeply distressed because she was barren and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She was, she was a woman who was so devout that her prayers took on an emotional state. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me, that's Samuel, that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. Uh, the prophet Samuel understood that he had a calling not just to preach and proclaim and prophesy, but to pray. For those to whom he was preaching and about whom uh, those he would bring the message of God. Second Samuel chapter 7 verse 18 says that King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? An attitude of humility in the king as he approaches the true king. First Kings chapter 3 verse 7 the beautiful picture of David's son Solomon. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind. Sometimes I think we desire knowledge and we... we Try to figure that out ourselves, but prayer can be a source of knowledge. We humble ourselves and ask God. <clears throat> Second Kings chapter 6, verse 17, a, a pretty famous one where Elisha prayed, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. It's a powerful picture of God opening our eyes to spiritual elements that we cannot see. And this is, I, I think, truly, if we understood the power of prayer in this way, we would be more consistent and sincere in our prayers. If God could just for a few seconds open our eyes to the spiritual battles going on all around us, we might be more fervent in our prayers. And last one, Daniel chapter 9, verses 3 through 5. Then Daniel turned my face, he says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made my confession. So there are so many characters within the Bible, so many people that prayed but we don't have a lot of detail in terms of, of, of specific commands on the form or the style. We could go into great detail, but we'll just kind of summarize it by saying this. Prayer in the Old Testament was largely priest-led and temple-centered. Largely priest-led and temple-centered. Now, that doesn't mean that other people couldn't pray. We've certainly looked at a lot of folks who did pray beyond that. 
But as far as the old covenant and the old system of worship and the system that, the, that Jesus would have been used to under his apostles, with his apostles and under that covenant, it would have been largely surrounding people and a place. Now, the beautiful picture here is that outside of that, as we come into the new covenant, of course, Scripture later tells us that we are all priests and that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so when we think about prayer, I don't think necessarily it's any less priest-led and temple-centered today. Unless you're getting this idea that it's only men of the cloth who can pray. It's only you know coming to this time. Um, public prayer should be the very tip of the iceberg. And we'll look at that a little bit later. Second Chronicles, uh, we're talking about priest-led and temple-centered. Second Chronicles chapter 30, verse 27. The scripture there tells us, Then the priests and the Levites arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came to his holy habitation in heaven. And so uh, this is not something that we are as familiar with. Although we certainly come to worship and prayer is a part of that and has always been, uh, it's a distant world from how the Jews of that time understood prayer and the leading of prayer uh, to happen. So it was priest-led, it was uh, temple-centered, but the big key to it was the absolute, and I, I think it's true in both covenants. The big key to prayer is integrity. And that, that idea of praying outwardly one way and then living a life that's completely different. Uh, that hypocrisy, that vanity... Uh, that religious um, show is absolutely a stench to God. In the Old Testament, they had, you know, they've had the offering of incense as part of the worship, and and I really think it was a, not a pleasing aroma, but a pungent aroma for someone to pray to God. And then live in a lifestyle completely adversarial to, the, to his laws, to his precepts, to his promises. Second Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14. You can go here if you like. Second Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. And will forgive their sin and heal their land. It's not that, and we're kind of talking about this on Wednesday night, about people of faith having failures. It's not that God doesn't understand that people of faith who pray are, are imperfect. They mess up. You know, if, if only perfect people could pray, who then could pray, right? But it is the heart of the prayer the desire to draw near to God, the desire to lay his sins, lay his iniquities, 
lay his stumblings before the Lord. And to be honest about those things. And to repent. uh, to, To have a change of heart that is completely consistent with how they desire to pray. That's one thing. But to pray and just to do it for show. To pray if the... And this, this would speak largely to men. But if the majority of the prayer that you do is in a public setting, that's a problem. And prayer is not designed to just be in a public venue. It's designed to be uh, a deeply personal thing. And this is what Jesus taught. Turn to Isaiah chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. We'll continue on this idea of integrity being key to prayer. Now, this is interesting. When you spread out your hands, which was the, the posture that many of the, the uh, priests would take. In fact, in the New Testament, Paul says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. They would assume this posture. But Isaiah says this, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Now, was it, was it because they were holding up their hands? No. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. This this echoes a little bit what Jesus will say about your babbling and you think you'll be heard because of your many words. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds before my eyes cease to do evil. The Lord desires a person who prays to have a heart, who desires a relationship with him. Again, it's not requiring perfection, but is a person who is willing to deal honestly, to speak honestly about his or her sin, and to deal honestly with his self or herself. All right, so that go, go through all of that very quickly, just to give you kind of a background of how the apostles would have been taught to pray. The apostles were trained in other vocations. And Jesus was in the minority in terms of how he selected his apostles. As Steve talked about their vocations and where they came from and their background, they were fishermen and tax collectors. They were common people. Now, What that tells us from a Western perspective is they were common people. But from a Jewish perspective, if you were a person who was a a fisherman or a tax collector, you were doing something else besides being a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. The reason you were doing that is because at some level, see, Jewish children were trained to not only know the scriptures, to read the scriptures. They were taught to memorize the scriptures and, and to uh, talk about them and discuss them and debate them and, and grow in wisdom. And, and at different levels, those students would sort of be, be sort of cut. I don't want to call it the draft, but they, they were just, they came to a level and it was like, okay, this, this young man is not rabbi material. So we're going to teach him a different trade. And as they continued up the ranks, the best of the best of the best became the rabbis and the teachers and the Pharisees. It was a position of honor. 
These were very, very smart people. They would have aced the Bible Bowl test. They, they didn't, there wasn't any question that they knew the word of God. So Jesus picks these people who didn't make the cut. Jesus picks these commoners. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. If you're a type A filler in your blank, this is one of them. Acts chapter 4, verse 13 says the apostles were, if you're going to the English Standard Version, it says uneducated common men. The NIV says unschooled and ordinary. Now, these were, these were not educated men. These were not men who, were, who aced the, uh, the Torah test. These were men who didn't make the cut. And as such, they wouldn't have been taught in the schools about how to pray, about how to lead prayer during the worship, during the Sabbath. They wouldn't have been taught to perform in those ways publicly because they never would have been asked to. It was mostly priests, rabbis, teachers, religious leaders who did the praying. They were educated in every way. In the text, the tradition, the forms, the manner. The apostles didn't know that. They weren't given that. And so when they asked the question in Luke, Lord, teach us to pray, they're asking a very sincere question. So Jesus gives them a model. And it's found in Matthew chapter 6, and it's found in, in Luke chapter 4. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 11. Matthew chapter 6 and Luke chapter 11. But it is a model. It's not a mantra. And there are some folks who take you know, Jesus saying, this then is how you should pray. And they literally pray that prayer in repetition over and over again. I don't think there's anything wrong with praying the prayer itself. But we, of course, know that even Jesus and his apostles prayed in other ways besides this way. So it was a model. It wasn't just something, a mantra to be repeated and to be continually um, said in vain repetition. In fact, Jesus taught against that in, in Matthew chapter 6 when he goes on to speak about prayer. So it is a model. Uh, the word model is a system or a thing used to, as an example to follow or imitate. If you are building a model of an airplane, it's going to, you know, it's based on the real thing. It's, it's something that you has followed after the, the actual. Um, so it's something that we gives us principles of how to pray. So tonight I've asked David Gearing, who um, is a member here at, at Northside, but I've asked him to, to lead us in prayer because we're going to talk about the principles of the Lord's Prayer. And uh, David, when he was in the youth group, had, a, had such a pure and lovely way of praying, and it reminded me so much of what I believe Jesus taught his disciples to do. And so, David, if you'll come up right now and, and lead us in prayer, and then we will turn to the Scripture in Matthew chapter 6 and study together about the Lord's Prayer. David.
Father in heaven, we come to you at this time, and most of all, we're so very thankful for everything you've given to us, Lord. We're thankful for Toby for giving us this awesome sermon tonight on how we should pray, Lord, and so thankful for this church, that we have this congregation and everyone before us, Lord, for the deacons, for the elders, for all the respect we have for them, Lord, for guiding us, for guiding us as lost sheep, Lord. We so many times fall short of what you ask for. We are, I know I have a conversation with you daily, Lord. I pray to you daily, and I fall short of what you want. I, I don't see the things clear. I ask questions why. I'm in a profession and my job that I see a lot of death, a lot of hurting, a lot of suffering, but I also see a lot of good. And I just sometimes stop and ask so many questions and wonder why all this happens. And I ask that you please open our hearts, Lord. I know me personally. I need you to open my heart. Show me the way. Show me the reasons why, Lord. And it's not always our, our stance to ask why, but let us have an understanding, Lord. We love you so very much. You are an awesome and just so powerful creator that we, we can't understand everything that goes on. We know there's people in this church at this time that are, that are suffering, that, that come here on a daily basis and talk to you and, and have the same questions of what's going on and can't understand why, Lord. Those people that sit by themselves that don't, don't want to come forth, please guide them, Lord. Guide them to the elders here, the deacons, to the ministers, to anyone in the church, Lord. And please let them ask questions. Let, let them ask what is going on and give those, those people that they come to the answers, Lord, so that we can build our, our army strong, Lord. We know there's such a great battle going on at this time, and it's one of those reasons we don't understand. But we, we just ask that you please help us all, each and every one of us, Lord, in this congregation. As we depart from here, please give us the power and the will to spread your word. Let us not be silent, Lord. Let us be vocal in everything we do. And let's show the world that you are our awesome creator, Lord. We love you so very much and can't thank you enough for everything you've done, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, David. I appreciate it. The Lord's Prayer is found in two places in the New Testament, as we've said. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, and Luke chapter 11, verses 2 through 4. There are some differences between the two, so we're not sure if this is Jesus teaching twice about this model prayer or if it's simply was taught twice and uh, recorded, I'm sorry, taught once and recorded twice. But the differences between, well, first of all, the one in Matthew is just longer. Uh, it's, it's got a, a few extra phrases, and so it's probably the one that is better known. In Matthew, the one in Matthew 
is in the context of, as we said, of the Sermon on the Mount. One of Luke comes after Jesus himself has prayed, and uh, that to me makes a lot of sense that he has done that, and he as well could have done that in the Sermon on the Mount as well. But they saw him pray so much. Luke records it this way. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And then he goes on. So he's really in Luke responding to their question. And the Sermon on the Mount in Luke is a few chapters earlier. Afterward, um, in Matthew, Jesus moves on from prayer as a subject and he moves on to fasting. Uh, in Luke, he goes on to explain about prayer using some parables and some stories that we're going to look at a little next week as we took look at the doctrine of prayer. So there's a few differences between the two. But if you'll, if you'll um, turn to Matthew chapter 6, that's where we're going to uh, focus on just because, as I say, it's a little bit longer. As we talk about the model, and when we talk about the model, this gives us an idea of how we should pray. Luke chapter 6, starting verse 9. Our Father. In the Old Testament, Jesus, or I'm sorry, God was referred to as Father very few times. Maybe if you, if you count all of the indirect times where God says, you know, you're my children, and so forth. You count even, if you take a very loose interpretation, maybe 25 times. But Jesus changes all this. When we move into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus uses the term Father over 65 times. Uh, in the book of John, the Apostle of Love, he uses it over 100 times. Paul, in his letters, over 40 separate references to God the Father. So this is interesting because it tells us maybe there's a shift here. The term in Aramaic was Abba. And I always knew that. There was an occasion when I, that was made very real to me. Um, we were at a theme park was with the teens on a trip. We were on a roller coaster and we were standing in line. And... As we were standing in line, there was this family. They had the yarmulkes on, and uh, they were getting they were closer to the roller coaster than we were. And I mean, they were going to be up in the next the next time the coaster came around. And um, um, I, they, there was a husband, the wife, and several children, maybe from a couple of teenagers down to very young. And the younger, younger one couldn't have been, he was probably about Grace's age, maybe four, maybe five. So when the, each, each time the coaster goes through, the, the little one, he's, he's, uh, he's getting more frightened. And... Uh, he just holds up his arms. Sorry. Holds up his arms. He says, Abba, Abba. And the, the father, uh, you know, picked him up. 
that picture to me has always uh, stood out as as a father <laughs> and as a Gentile of uh, the intimate relationship that Jesus had with his father. And if you're a parent, you understand this. The Greek word was pater, pater, but it was just this idea of a father, of dad. And as children love their fathers, they see in their fathers something that when they get scared and worried and anxious, uh, it's, it's instinctive. Abba. Jesus would say from the cross, Abba, Father. Now, some, there was kind of a movement many years ago to, you know, use this to start calling God Daddy and all of that. I think that missed the point. Um, quite honestly, I, I think that this was a unique relationship that Jesus had. And it shows us that when he prayed, it wasn't just a form, it uh, wasn't just a habit, it wasn't just a routine, it was a, um, it was relational. Which is, I think, the example that he desired for us to have. Father, Abba, Peter. When I teach my children to pray with, uh, with them, which is the only way I know to, to tell you how to, how to teach to pray... I tell them there are two things you have to have as you pray to the Lord. And that is sincerity and reverence. A sincerity meaning it, it's true. It's not just repeating something you've heard. It's not just something that is uh, uh, rote or routine. It's, it's sincere. It's from the heart. Um, with our children, I have this routine at the end of day where I'll sit on, you know, whoever's Turn it is. I sit on their bed and we talk a little bit. And one of the things I'll ask is tell me the best thing of your day and tell me the worst thing and tell me what you learned. And the reason I ask those questions is to know their heart, which is what what God desires of us in prayer. He wants to know our heart, which is why scripture letter says, cast all your cares and burdens on him. Because he cares for you. He's not just your father in, in terms of an earthly father, which is where the illustration breaks down because so many, um, so many bad fathers ruin this for their children. So he says, Our Father in heaven. And so if you're a person who hasn't had a great father or a great fatherly example, the hope is the next two words in heaven the dwelling place of the Lord. Your true spiritual father who loves you more than your earthly father ever could. Who created you. Who knit you together in your mother's womb. It's the dwelling place of the Lord. He says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is such a mist. I'm not sure we hold anything hollow anymore, sacred, holy, set apart. But yet in heaven, the Lord is holy. Everything in heaven centers around him, and holiness permeates heaven 
because of him. Your kingdom come, this is verse 10, your kingdom come, your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You think about that, in heaven God's will is done. A word is said and an angel does whatever is asked. Uh, a, a, a thought is had and the desire is carried out. It is only on earth where God's will is questioned and mocked and rebuked. Interesting question. Do you do you want to go to heaven where God's will is always done? This is where prayer becomes so important because he is where the, the elimination, as Doug led the song tonight, all of self and none of thee, and all the way to none of self and all of thee. Which is which is an impossible journey, right? We never fully get there. But this is what he's saying. Do you want to pray? For a place where everything is done just as God would have it to be. If you answer that question, yes, be careful. Because there are some things in your life that God doesn't want to be. His will, not your will. The, the second question to ask in that verse is, how different would your life look if you could only do His will? What kind of parent would you be? What kind of father would you be? What kind of mother would you be? What kind of ch- uh, child would you be if you could only do the will of the Father? If you'd only do it, and there's only one who did, you'd be very much like Christ. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. Why do fathers go to work? To provide for the needs of their family. Why do we ask God, give us this day our daily bread? To remember like the Israelites where it all comes from. As they had the manna that fed them for so long, we must rely on God. And I know it's, it's easy to forget in our world. I mean, I've got a pantry full of food at home. Uh, I've got plenty for a while, and uh, the world doesn't collapse. I can go to the grocery store and pick up quite a bit more. And yet, every single element of food that I have comes from him. And it, it didn't come without his word powerfully creating it. And so we still have to rely on him for our daily needs. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I love what Andrew Murray says when he says, What bread is to the body, forgiveness is to the soul. And we so often ask for forgiveness of our sins. When you're in the presence of a holy father, how could you do any less? But Steve Tandy said years ago that the most important word in that verse, or in that Sentence is as. You are forgiven in direct proportion to the measure which you forgive. And your father has a ton of forgiveness to offer. At the only price being, you must be willing to extend that to others as well. And finally, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
Now, God does not tempt human beings. So we know that from James chapter 1, verse 13. But God does provide for us a time of escape in every temptation. In every single temptation. God provides a way out. Well, as we compare those two, we see some similar principles, although the exact wording is not the same. But let's focus here on trying, trying to sum up the Lord's Prayer with four simple principles, and then we'll be, we'll be done. Number one, love God. And this comes from the word Father. It is um, children have an innate desire to love their father and their mother, but, but that parental love... Um, when Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 8, he says, Your father knows what you need before you ask him. It is telling that when we come to God, we must come to him as a loving father. To do so without love in your heart misses the whole point of prayer at all. This morning, uh, a scripture was referenced that I want to turn to. It was not in my original lesson, but I think it's so good. First Peter chapter 1, verse 17. First Peter chapter 1, verse 17. If you're a student of the word, Peter writes this. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. I love my children, and my children love me. And there are times when they fear me, as they should. We have a father that, that, we, that we come to in this very unique balance of love and fear. Love and reverence, if you want to call it that. It is knowing that he loves us and they can provide everything that we need, but also knowing that he is God. And that he alone is holy. Number two, honor God. This is the second principle. And this is that whole idea. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 says, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And I think if we're going to pray, it requires to us to have a not only a love for God, but a hallowness of his name, a time of adoration of who he is and how holy he is. Even if that's hard for us to understand and to get, we need to honor God by how we speak to him in reverence. Number three, ask for what you need. Ask for what you need. The two that Jesus references are daily bread, which I'm going to categorize as our daily physical needs and our sustenance, and then forgiveness of sins, which we need daily, almost more than bread. Daily spiritual mercy and grace. This is interesting. James chapter 4 verse 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask God. 
And I think there are many people who struggle with being forgiven. I always kind of wonder, do, do they really ask the Lord? Do they, do they believe that he loves them and wants to forgive them? Do they, they love him enough even to ask? John chapter 3 verse 27 says a person can only see a person can only receive what is given him from heaven whether that's our daily bread or our daily mercy we need to ask for what we need not because God doesn't know but because he wants us to recognize where all of that goodness comes from and number 4 do as you ask do as you ask. Don't don't ask God for something. You know, don't pray about getting a certain job and then don't go to the interview. You know, do as you ask for. If you're asking for something, then then be as proactive as you can. And usually we get that to one of two extremes. We either try to do it all of ourselves or we just do nothing and expect God just bring it to us on a silver platter. And I think we have to have a balance between those two things. Uh, if you want forgiveness, be willing to live a forgiving life. If you want to be let out of temptation, you need to not pursue temptation. Luke chapter 6 verse 36 says, Be merciful even as your father is Merciful. Well, this was a lot. This was originally supposed to be two sermons, so my apologies that we've gone a little long tonight. But um, it was so important that we start, as we work on the teaching of prayer, that we start with the model prayer that Jesus taught. In the next coming weeks, we're going to be looking at the doctrine of prayer. We're looking at specifically the teachings and the parables that Jesus taught. Then April 26th, we're going to look at the demonstrated prayer and how Jesus led an example. May 10th, we're going to look at the decided prayer, and that is making a little bit more application to how we pray. And May 17th, we'll finish out the series talking about the disciplined prayer. I appreciate your kind attention tonight as we do every time we're able to. We offer the invitation that comes from your Father who loves you, and who desires that no one here, or no one not here for that matter, would perish. And so if you do not know Christ the Lord, uh, the invitation is yours tonight. To come and receive his mercy and his grace. To confess him as Lord. To repent of sin. To put him on in the waters of baptism. And uh, if you have been immersed, but you are needing the prayers of this congregation, or you're struggling in some spiritual way, I cannot think of a more appropriate time to come forward and let us pray with you and for you. If you have any need, our elders will be awaiting you at the front. As together we stand and sing.